The final document that we have access to from the pen of the Apostle Paul is 2 Timothy, sometime in the mid-60s AD from a Roman jail. And facing execution, Paul writes to his beloved child in the faith, Timothy. Paul's words were intended to inform, instruct, and encourage Timothy, who served as a pastor in Ephesus. In this episode of the Ask Scott podcast, Scott will answer your questions about 2 Timothy chapter 1, verses 1 through 7, in his message entitled, Fan Your Gift into Flame for the Sake of the Gospel. We hope that you'll stick around. Hello, friends. I'm Treg Whitaker, and I am here today with senior pastor of East White Oak Bible Church, Scott Burkle. Scott, how are you? Oh, doing great. Good. Yeah. You ready for this? I think so. All right, let's yeah, get at it. We got it. some good questions. Yeah, very good questions. First question that came to us today through the Ask Scott text is, it's easier to disciple young children when you have more control over evening schedules and things like that. Any specific suggestions for discipling teens that are unenthusiastic about scripture and prayer? How do you make it a priority when you have very few moments together as a family with the busyness of school and sports and jobs? Yes, uh, I remember well those days, so I understand the concern that the person is questioning, uh, raising the question has. And part of the issue is that as our children get older, their schedule is not completely in our control. And so the problem is that <clears throat> we have always felt like, okay, here's when we're going to do this, and here's how we're going to do it. And that was very, well, much easier to do when our children are young. As our children get older, what we need to be able to do is flex our schedule to when they are available. So, for example, how that changed in my life with my boys was that I made sure that there were, when there were these moments that I could be with them, that I really engaged in some meaningful conversation. Now, a lot of that was side to side. So, for example, if I was uh, picking them up after a swim meet or something like that, uh, it could be a long drive, you know, and being able to have some things I had in my head ahead of time to talk about and ask questions and not to feel like I had to accomplish everything in one moment. Another thing was that I figured out something that we enjoyed doing together. And with all three of my boys, the thing we enjoyed doing together was playing ping pong. Mm. And so there's something about that across the table thing that happened where we could talk about things that really mattered. And we'd even end up taking time to look at a scripture verse or to pray or to talk about the things that were on their hearts and on their minds. There's a section in Deuteronomy 6 <clears throat> that talks about when you get up and when you go to bed, when you walk by the way. You're looking for those kinds of opportunities. Um, and as your child gets older, it becomes more and more important that you try to find those and seize that. As for the person uh, who's struggling with their teen's interests, now they just don't seem to have a passion for Christ. Uh, first pray, mm -hmm. and then keep praying, and then keep praying, 
And then I wouldn't be afraid of talking to them about your hunger and desire for them to grow in grace and the knowledge of our Lord and Savior. And to pray with your spouse, even on a daily basis, about those matters. It's not a panacea. My suggestion there doesn't mean that, okay, all problems are over. Mm -hmm. But I'm just offering these as a means to begin that kind of avenue. Uh, One of the obstacles that I hear you saying is that when you really compartmentalize discipleship, as it needs to be another extra component that you're fitting into your day, that can be an unovercomable obstacle if the day is so busy. But what you're suggesting is not to compartmentalize it, but look for opportunities through, throughout the day. Right. As, uh, at least in my case, and everybody's situation is a little different, in my case, our time of quote-unquote family devotions mm-hmm. changed markedly as our children entered the teen years, and it became much more of a life-on-life mentoring rather than a formal, okay, here's what we're doing. We're now in chapter 3 and here's the questions. Now, we did that when they were little, but as they got older, it changed. Right, yeah. Next question. How would you go about deciding what's being bold for the gospel and what should be considered reckless? Do you think there's a biblical instruction, or is it more left up to wisdom of the body of believers and the church? Hmm. Yeah. So the surveys are clear. Uh, you survey anybody Uh, at the end of their life. This is Christian or non-Christian. And one of the things that emerges is that they will say, I wish that I had risked more. Mm -hmm. So generally, our default position is toward too much safety. Now, there's going to be a person or two in the sound of my voice who's going to be thinking, oh, great, you know, and they can do the absolute completely reckless thing. But just taking as a general rule we do not risk enough. And as Christians, we don't risk enough for the kingdom. I think that the person is onto something in their question by saying they should bounce off things with others in the body of Christ. But quite often what we bounce off are the risks, and we don't bounce off our sheltering. Hmm. And I think we should bounce off our sheltering too to say, so that the body of Christ can say, I think you're being too timid. I don't know that that happens. I think it only happens one direction. I think it should happen both. It reminds me of an expression that you've used before. Um, comfort the afflicted yeah. and afflict the comfort. There you go. That's <laughs> right. Yep. Be a role yep. for the church both ways. That's right. Both ways. Yeah. 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 Uh, I wanted to ask you about uh, spiritual gift inventories, Scott. Mm-hmm. This idea that you could go to a class mm-hmm. or fill out a form and answer a series of questions and it will identify your spiritual gift. Is there some value in that? Yeah. So I would suggest that most of those spiritual gift inventories are just kind of glorified personality inventories. Not anything particularly wrong about them, but I don't know that they're super helpful at identifying spiritual gifts. I have addressed this in both an Oakleaf article and in a message on 1 Peter 4, So I would encourage the questioner to look on our website for those two resources. I'm also going to be speaking on that exact subject at Bethany Community Church in Washington in March at a conference that they're having. And uh, I think that basically what I would say is the best way to identify spiritual gifts is to just start doing things and then discover how the body of Christ 
ends up saying, hey, that's really some place where you're making an impact. So some confirming and affirming. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. And I think that there are times too, Scott, if we will step out to serve somewhere, that we will find the gifting will will follow the willingness to serve. For sure. That the Holy Spirit will enable us to serve, even in an area where we have felt maybe incompetent to serve. Sure. There is a strength in our weakness that's available to us if we will step out. Another factor that we might want to think about is that God is a God of small beginnings. Don't feel like you need to start at, okay, well, maybe God's gifted me as an evangelist. I'm going to start... Billy Graham ministry that even Billy Graham started preaching in the swamp to nobody, Mm -hmm. you know, Mm -hmm. kind of thing. And so the idea of just thinking about how can I offer my gifts in the most humble of ways Mm -hmm. and the Lord will fan that into flame. You know, it gives the air to it. Yeah. Good. Thanks for being with us. Thank you for your questions. That'll do it for this episode of the ask Scott podcast. We hope that you'll join us next time. 